Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2012. Titled, Growing in Christ, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 3 for October 13-19, to Mankind, God's Handiwork. Sabbath afternoon, October 13. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for what you have done in the creation of each of us and of our parents, Adam and Eve. And as we study about this this week, as we study about your power, we pray that we may more fully understand who you are and your greatness and your love for each of us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God? It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. Let's read that again, Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God? It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. And the key thought for this week is, God created humanity in his own image. Sin defiled that image. God's plan is to restore that image in us. A 19th century thinker, Arthur Schopenhauer, while deep in thought about the essence of human identity, accidentally bumped into someone on the street. The person whom he hit angrily demanded, Who do you think you are? Who am I? Schopenhauer responded, I wish I knew. Who am I? Who are we as a race? What are we doing here? How did we get here? And why? These are ancient questions that humans still debate today. Scripture, however, answers them all. That's because there is an inseparable link between the question of our identity and the doctrine of creation. The answer to all these questions is found there. No other biblical doctrine is as central to our understanding of humanity as is creation, because it focuses on our origin, not merely our beginning. Beginning simply may refer to the fact of coming to be. Origin attaches the idea of purpose to that fact of coming to be. Therefore, the Bible teaching on the creation of humanity is radically opposed to evolution, which argues that there is no purpose for our existence. We're here by chance alone. Rarely have there been two teachings that present starker or more irreconcilable differences, not only to our existence, but to our identity as human beings. Sunday, October 14, Creation and Human Origins Genesis 1.27 reveals, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. What does this text tell us about our origins that is so radically different from, even openly contradictory to, other views of human beginnings such as evolution? It is impossible to miss the point that, as a conscious act of God, humanity's creation had a purpose behind it. 
Scripture has no room for any idea of chance. We were made with a distinct purpose, and we were given a distinct nature and essence right from the start. Made in the image of God is about as concrete and distinct an essence, a purpose, as could be imagined. This point is important because some thinkers have argued that humans have to create their own meaning, their own purpose, because we are born without any meaning or purpose inherent in us. If, for instance, evolution were true, one could make the point that because evolution teaches that we didn't come with any purposes, we have to make up our own. In contrast, according to the Bible, we were made in the image of God and created to bring glory to him. Questions. Origins deal with history. Read Jude 14, Romans 5, 12 to 21 and 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 22. How do these texts help us to understand the historicity of Adam in Genesis 1 and 2? Why is it important to understand Adam as a historical person? Jude Verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. In Romans 5, verses 12 to 51. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and deaths by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences under justification. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For, as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That, as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And then our next text is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 20 to 22. And that reads, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. It's amazing how many Bible scholars dismiss the historicity of Adam. He's a myth, they say, a symbol for humanity, but not a real person. 
One can hold those beliefs only through greatly distorting the texts themselves, both in the Old and New Testaments. So, to finish the day, dwell on the fact that you were made in the image of God. What should that tell you about your own inherent self-worth, regardless of your faults, weaknesses and shortcomings? Monday, October 15, The Image of God, Part 1 As we saw yesterday, Adam and Eve were literal people, not symbols or myths, but actual flesh and blood beings made in the image of God. Obviously, being made in the image of God is something good, something sacred, something that bestows inherent values on us. What, however, does that really mean? Question Genesis 1.26. Read it carefully. What statement of intention seems to be linked to the creation of man in God's image? That is, God says that humanity is to be made in his image and then something immediately follows as a result. What is that something and how does it help us in our understanding of the concept of the image of God? Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1.26 is God's statement of intention. God creates man in his image and then commands him to do something. Being created in God's image appears to be necessary for a certain function. In this case, to have dominion over the rest of what God has created. Therefore, the image of God points to physical, intellectual, social and spiritual endowments needed in order for humanity to fulfil God's purpose for it. Whatever it meant to have dominion over the rest of the creation, it certainly entailed respect, care and good stewardship. Humanity was perhaps to interact in a dynamic way with the lower created order in a manner that reflected how God interacted with humans themselves. And being made in the image of God also meant that humans were to represent God in the world. What a responsibility. Question. Read Mark 12 verses 13 to 17. How do these verses help us to understand what it means to be made in the image of God? And they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, but thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give, or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. 
and they marveled at him. Jesus' practical message seems to be, give your money to Caesar, it has his image on it, and thus it belongs to him. But give yourselves to God. You bear his image, and you belong to him. And that's a quote from Millard J. Erickson's book, Christian Theology, page 515. How is this translated into practical terms? Most likely, we also show that we bear God's image in our love, commitment and loyalty to him, as well as in the ways in which we treat others. Again, being made in the image of God, whatever else it entails is something manifested by our actions. Tuesday, October 16, The Image of God, Part 2 Whatever else it means to be made in the image of God, it also shows that we were made to be in relationships. What are those relationships and how should we, made as we are, act in them? Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. What does that tell us right away about humanity's relationship to the world? Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Notice the autonomy, the freedom given here to Adam. He was to name the creatures that God had created. God didn't do the naming himself. He left that work to Adam. The text suggests that God was going to accept whatever names Adam gave to the creatures. Question. Read Genesis 2, 20-25. How did these verses reveal more about the relational aspect for these beings made in God's image? So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. A lot of commentary has been written over the centuries about the meaning of these verses. What is fascinating here, among other things, is the closeness and the intimacy that was meant to exist between Adam and Eve. Adam was created out of the soil and Eve out of Adam, something that helps to distinguish her from every other earthly created being. To be made in God's image, then, certainly entails the capacity for close and loving relationships, something that surely reflects the relationship in the Godhead itself. Now, 
study Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 together with Genesis 3.20 and Acts 17.26. In what ways the unity between the first pair of humans extended to cover the unity of the entire human race? What does the unity of humanity have to say about ethical issues such as justice, racism, etc.? Let's look at these texts. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20. And that reads... And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And then we go to Acts. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. And that reads, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath appointed the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. Wednesday, October 17, A Defiled Image One of the many great obstacles for those who read evolution into the biblical creation account is the fall. In the Bible, the world and humanity were perfect when created, a teaching that contradicts evolution at the most basic level. Only through transgression did suffering and death enter the world, a concept that's contrary to the evolutionary model in which suffering and death are part of the very means of creation itself. Imagine what it would say about the character of God if he had created us in the manner that evolution teaches. According to that false theory, God uses processes of violence, selfishness and dominance of the strong against the weak in order to create a morally flawless and selfless being who falls into a state of violence, selfishness and dominance of the strong over the weak, a state from which he has to be redeemed or else face final punishment. Think too of what evolution does to the plan of salvation. The Lord incarnates into an evolved ape that was created through the vicious and painfully murderous cycle of natural selection, all in order to abolish death, the last enemy. But how can death be the enemy when it was one of God's chosen means for creating humans? The Lord must have expended plenty of dead Homo erectus, Homo hildebergensis and Homo neanderthalensis in order to finally get one creature into his own image, Homo sapiens. So Jesus comes to save mankind from the very process God used to create your mankind in the first place. The whole idea is foolish and unbiblical. Question. Read Romans 5, 12-19 and Colossians 3:10. How do these verses help us to understand what sin has done to humanity? How does the great controversy play into this whole picture? See 1 John 3 and verse 8 as well. Romans 5, 12-19.
12 to 19. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law, nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offence. For if by the one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offence resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offences resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And First John chapter 3, verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the work of the devil. Sin has touched all aspects of human life, and even the earth itself. Ellen G. White talked about a threefold curse that was rested on the world, the first resulting from Adam's fall, the next from Cain's murder of Abel, and the third from the damage caused by the flood. Theologians also talk about Total depravity, the idea that every aspect of human life and personality has been damaged by sin. As we look around at the world, and even at ourselves, it's not hard to see, is it? So to finish today, some believe that violence, suffering and death were all part of how God created humanity. Others believe that violence, suffering and death were all part of how Satan seeks to destroy the humanity that God created. Think about the differences in the character of God that these two opposing views present. Thursday, October 18, Restoration as deep and pervasive as the effects of sin have been on humanity, our plight is not irreversible. The Bible speaks about the possibility of renewal and restoration of the image of God in us, at least to some degree. Question. Study the following passages carefully. What hope is presented in them? Romans 8.29, 2 Corinthians 3.18 and Ephesians 4.23-24. Romans 8. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many 
brethren. And 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24. And that reads, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The Bible clearly holds up the hope for us to be remade in God's image. The renewal of the image of God in humanity is accompanied by a reduction of the effects that sin has had on us and our relationships. None of this, however is the result of man's own achievement. The Bible points to Christ as being the basis of hope for man's renewal. Also, whatever changes are wrought in our lives, our hope of salvation must rest always on what Christ has accomplished for us and on the offer of salvation based on his righteousness, not our own. Question. How is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 related to the recreation of man in God's image. Does being a new creature place a person beyond the reach of sin and its effects on the human experience? What does your own experience tell you about the answer? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Overall, the evidence from Scripture leads to the conclusion that spiritual renewal comes at the cost of watchfulness in spiritual warfare. It is warfare between the flesh and the spirit. Those who are being renewed in God's image find this spiritual warfare to be the reality of the human experience and thus they embrace the challenge in the strength of the Lord. To choose to be remade in the image of God is to place oneself on the side of God in the great controversy. Writing about those who have experienced the renewing power of Christ, Ellen G. White noted in The Acts of the Apostles, page 476 and 477, But because this experience is his, the Christian is not therefore to fold his hands, content with that which has been accomplished for him. He who is determined to enter the spiritual kingdom will find that all the powers and passions of unregenerate nature, backed by the forces of the kingdom of darkness, are arrayed against him. Each day he must renew his consecration, each day do battle with evil. Old habits, hereditary tendencies to wrong, will strive for the mastery, and against these he is to be ever on guard, striving in Christ's strength for victory. Friday, October 19. Ellen White writes in The Great Controversy, page 467, In the beginning, man was created in the image of God. He was in perfect harmony with the nature and law of God. The principles of righteousness were written upon his heart. But sin alienated him from his Maker. 
He no longer reflected the divine image. His heart was at war with the principles of God's law. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Romans 8.7 But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that man might be reconciled to God. Through the merits of Christ, he can be restored to harmony with his Maker. His heart must be renewed by divine grace. He must have a new life from above. This change is the new birth, without which, says Jesus, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 595. The true object of education is to restore the image of God in the soul. In the beginning, God created man in his own likeness. He endowed him with noble qualities. His mind was well balanced, and all the powers of his being were harmonious. But the fall and its effects have perverted these gifts. Sin has marred and well-nigh obliterated the image of God in man. It was to restore this that the plan of salvation was devised, and a life of probation was granted to man. And that brings us to our discussion questions, four of them this week. One, in what way does the teaching of evolution fit into the great controversy scenario? How has Satan used this doctrine to undermine faith in the Bible? Two, go through the New Testament and look up all the texts that talk about Adam. How clear is it that the New Testament writers all believed Adam to be a real person? Why is that understanding so important to our understanding of who we are, how we got into the situation we are in, and the hope that we have in Jesus? 3. Dwell more on the idea of being restored into God's image. In what way are we meant to understand that, especially as beings who are subject to decay, death, sickness, and disease? And 4. The two most foundational teachings in physics Quantum theory and general relativity directly contradict each other. What should that tell us about how careful we need to be when accepting something as fact merely because science says it is so? Inside Story. Yes, it's Inside Story, the Bible text. It's titled this week, The foreign evangelist wasn't sure what to expect as the evangelistic meetings among the Romani, gypsy people of Bulgaria, neared. The leaders couldn't locate a suitable hall to rent. But the Romani Seventh-day Adventist community would let nothing stand in their way. They built a platform on a dead-end street and put benches in the street. On opening night, crowds packed the street around the homemade platform. People filled the yards, balconies of homes, even nearby rooftops, to hear the message of salvation in Jesus. The crowd was estimated at 5,000 people and didn't diminish during the five weeks of meetings. Hundreds were baptised. One of these new members was Ivan. Ivan was 21, and his decision for Christ was based more on emotion than on an acceptance of a new lifestyle centred on Christ. Adventure called, and Ivan drifted away from Christ. When Ivan realised that his life was headed in the wrong direction, he prayed, 
but nothing happened. He returned to church, at least on some Sabbaths, but still nothing changed. One day he cried out to God, Lord, do you hear me? Are you still interested in me? That night he dreamed that the Lord spoke to him. Find your baptismal certificate in the drawer. Read the Bible text written there. The next morning, Ivan found the baptismal certificate exactly where he had seen it in his dream. He noticed a Bible text that the pastor had written on it. Ivan grabbed his Bible and looked up the text, Isaiah 43, verse 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Ivan reread the words, amazed that God had known several years earlier that he would now need this very text at this time in his life. God knew him. God cared. Ivan rededicated his life to God. He spends every day in prayer and Bible study to keep him from falling into the lake of indifference again. Ivan praises God for sending evangelists to teach the Romani people about God. Recently, a 13th Sabbath offering helped to build a church for a Romani company in northwestern Bulgaria. Thank you for sharing God's love through your mission offerings. Ivan Kirilov is part of a rapidly growing Romani Seventh-day Adventist community of more than 1,000 members in Kajostendal in Bulgaria. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.